This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. This week is episode three of a four-part series on Christian leadership, where we are focusing on being a faithful follower of Jesus, on addressing your past hurts, and slowing down in order to lead well. Today, I sit down with friend, fellow podcaster, author of Coach, a story of success redefined, and business coach, Tim Wenders. We discuss various aspects of being a Christ follower and leader, but I would summarize our conversation as a look at building God's kingdom versus building your own kingdom. Tim has experience doing both, which we discuss today. One of the best compliments you can give a podcaster is to share their show with a friend or with all of your friends on social media. And also leave a review on your favorite listening app. So as we begin, I hope you'll share Grace Enough with your friends and take a moment to leave a review wherever you're listening. If you enjoy my conversation with Tim, do the same for his show, which is Seek, Go, Create. You can find that on YouTube or any of your favorite listening apps. Good afternoon, Tim, and welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. Great to talk to you, Amber. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I know. I think when um, I get on, I would love to hear people's feedback, listeners' feedback. Like, what's the difference between when I sit and talk to people I know who are my friends, or at least we've become friends to the podcasting world, versus like a stranger that I've never talked to before? Because you know there has to be a difference, right? I would think so. You know, you and I, we we communicate quite a bit and we interact, maybe not a focused, you know, 45 minute to an hour conversation, but we do know each other. And I, I don't know if there's a warmness or warmth. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. People can let us know. That's right. That's right. Let us know. That's what we want to know. Does it sound like we're more familiar than just someone that I'm talking to normally, even though you and I both are someone that can feel pretty comfortable with people. So sometimes people ask me like, do you know them? No, I, I spoke to him for 30 minutes. They couldn't pick me out of a lineup of two people. You know, <laughs> like, That's the way it works. So anyways, as we dive in, I always start my episodes with um, just learning a little bit how you came to know Jesus. Tell me a little about your faith journey, just kind of how it began. Yeah, that, that's always a great question that I love to answer, Amber, because I think everybody, that's their testimony and everybody is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. I, I have to give just a slight background because it then it will relate to kind of how it came about. I was one of these guys that was pursuing success. And when I say success, worldly success, business, money, all that type stuff. I was uh, a child of the 70s and 80s. And I was just go, 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 going after it. And then I, I met, thankfully, hallelujah, met my wife-to-be. And uh, she asked me a question about a year into our relationship. She goes, now, are, are you a Christian? And I, had, I was in philosophy classes at Georgia Tech. And I kind of gave one of these smug, curt <laughs> answers, blah, blah, you know, I don't even know. And she kind of paused and said, I don't know, this relationship might be off. Well, I had to jump in my car, go over, apologize profusely probably told a few things that were a bit of a fib, Amber. I hate to admit that, mm. but anyway, so I was, I knew who Jesus was. I did not know Jesus until a few years into our marriage, we'd been going to church and doing all these things. And it was really for show. Um, I was considering being involved with the political arena and mm -hmm. was just doing some things that we all think we're supposed to do maybe in those situations. But I got into a business, in a business, it was a multi-level marketing business. And I was working it very hard, trying to get out of my corporate gig. And I went to a business conference and they had one of these Sunday morning non-denominational services at a big coliseum, uh, probably not far from your area. I think it was in Asheville or Charlotte or somewhere like that. You know, 10, 15,000 people there. And so I went Sunday morning to get a good seat for the afternoon training session. And they had a church service and 
I learned more about my heart was softened and I learned about Jesus. And I went down front in that Coliseum with about 4,000 other people. And wow. so my first real interaction with Jesus was in a business setting, which the reason I bring that up is it kind of gives people a glimpse into how I sometimes think a little bit differently. I did not grow up in church world. I love that. It's like you said earlier, testimonies, they just vary so much from super dramatic to, I don't know a day in my life that I didn't know about Christ. And both are incredible. Yeah. And, and you know, I still think it was a process after that. I think so. Oh, yeah. I think it is for everybody. An event. It's real interesting. Our son had this interview with the ministry and they were like so dogmatic about his salvation date. And, and I mean, he, he didn't end up doing some work with them. He was actually going to do some work overseas with submissions and things like that because of his, his ability to capture video and all. Yeah. And he came back to me and says, dad, they kept pinpointing me about like, when was the date? And I said, I've always been moving towards Jesus and I still am. And they were like, really like, it better be a date or we can't work with you. And I don't know that I agree with that. I'm not going to argue if someone had a date, you know, like exactly at 1232 on, you know, November or whatever, but mine, mine kept being gradual, but that was the pinpointed time. And I'm going, okay, this is where it started. Right. This is when I, you know, started really paying attention to the spiritual world a little bit more. Right. And some of us are fortunate to be able to to experience that from birth uh, because that's the family that we grew up in. So one way I worded Amber, this is kind of interesting. I I know that God is pursuing all of us, Mm -hmm. but that was the date I began pursuing him. Oh, I could say a lot more about that. But what we're really here to talk about (laughs) is leadership. And so you have held a n- number of positions, you know, leadership positions throughout your career. And so tell us a little bit, what have been a few of those roles? And then tell me maybe a time where you held a position where you were like, that was not at all like Christ. And maybe the transformation process that God took you on. Yeah, that's a great question, by the way. I, I don't, you know, there's always this discussion in the world system, if someone's a born leader or if they can be developed into a leader. And, you know, I was, out. <laughs> I was the guy and I don't know if I was just obnoxious, arrogant, or I was, I had some skills that put me in these roles, but, you know, going back to even the playground, I was the guy that was always kind of organizing people, putting things in charge, elementary school president, president of my class and wanted to run for all, all, all these things and all that. And, and, you know, some of that stuff, it might be worth discussing. Some of it's not, but I think what I was pursuing before Christ kind of got involved and started steering it a little bit more, mm-hmm. and maybe he was steering it before then, was that um, I really was attempting to be in a role that I could be a coach, trainer, teacher. Because yeah. because growing up, both my parents were educators. Amber, I don't know if I've ever told you that, but both my parents were educators, no. school teachers. And so I remember like junior, senior year in high school, something like that. I go, you know what? I want to be a teacher and a coach, you know, athletics or something like that. And then I talked to my parents and I found out how much money they made. This tells you a little (laughs) bit about where I was at that point. And, and I found out how much money they made and I didn't know we were poor. I really, (laughs) I thought we had, that's not a bad thing. (laughs) (laughs) And so, so I was just pursuing after all that. So, I mean, I had, I had a business when I was at Georgia tech in college and, and then I was going to, I was doing leadership things around our community, our small town, just outside of Atlanta. And so I, I was just always going after those things. And that's the correct way of saying it. I was going after mm-hmm. those things. And I was considering uh, at the time that I met Christ and all that we talked about earlier, I was actually considering a run for House of Representatives out of, yeah. the, out of Georgia. And I think when you ask about the one that probably was the most worldly, out of character, had my life gone down that path, Mm -hmm. would have been the most detrimental, would have been that. Had I gone into a political arena, which I am, I I hesitate to think back on what my my marriage would look like, my Mm -hmm. life would look like, my family would look like. And I am thankful that that event that I mentioned earlier in that Coliseum, it occurred during that time. And it literally changed all that. Now, also during that time, I was working corporate. I was with Bell South and I was working in their leadership institute where I was doing teaching training for leaders within that environment. Leadership has always just kind of coursed through my, my blood. 
And I did the big one though, is just that question. I, I really, you and I would not be having this conversation had I gone into politics. Well, so I want to know more about that though, because part of the question was how did, how did you really see God transform you during that time? And do you remember anything where it was like, okay, I cannot go down this path because if I do, I know destruction is going to come or was it a series of roadblocks where God sometimes does whack us on the head a little bit and say, I'm just not going to let you? Yeah. Well, what's interesting about that is that the doors were wide open. I was okay. doing some things in some civic organizations. I was very involved with community, um, you know, maybe a young hotshot type guy. <laughs> no. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I know what you're talking about, Tim. <laughs> yeah, Amber, you... Uh, you I don't know, you may have, I was going to say, you may have liked me, you may not have when you, no, I think I was a nice guy, but boy, I was, I was racked with arrogance. I thought I was all that. And you know what? You almost have to be in some of those circles with the way that world system is. I, maybe you don't have to be, but I felt that. But this is the weird way that God worked, I believe. Like I said, I believe God was pursuing me and I'm thankful now that I switched and now I'm pursuing him as much, hopefully, as he is pursuing me. But the thing that was very odd was that multi-level marketing business, which I, I'll tell people it was the Amway business, which most people go, oh my gosh, that's horrible. That saved me because... I was uh, moving towards, there was an organization called the JCs that they were people talking about me wanting to, you know, be the head of that organization at the state level, which would have been a massive boost for that political thing. There was, because uh, you could have, could have put a political structure in place, Amber. And, and I was moving down that path very rapidly. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, this weird situation where Gloria and I were in a mall on the east side of Atlanta and a guy just walked up to me out of the blue and said, Hey, don't I know you from somewhere? And I'm a fairly friendly guy. And I said, no, nope, I never forget a face and we've never met. And he goes, no, really? I think we have. I said, no, we haven't <laughs> numbers. And he's the guy that called me and ended up, we ended up getting in that business that I mentioned earlier. And as I started looking at that business and the, and the foundation of some faith and personal growth and the possible financial gain, I literally cold turkey quit everything else on the other side of what I was doing. And that that is such a significant time, I believe, in my life that, you know, it's kind of like that. I just read The Road Less Traveled recently. You know, you come to a fork in the road and it mm -hmm. can go one way or another. And I firmly believe that that was a big fork in my life. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't think that... I'm not sure that I've heard you talk about that even um, in some of the episodes that I've listened to you share your story. So thank you. I don't for think that. I ever have. No one's ever asked it the way you have. All right. That says something about me. No, I'm it does. You're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. All right. So recently on your show, Seek, Go, Create, you shared an episode about leadership, and it was called The Three Biggest Leadership Mistakes, which you named as apathy, self-focus, and chaos. Will you share a little bit about each one of those and maybe the impact those mistakes can often make in leadership? You know, one thing, Amber, that's important with those, it, it's really there's a flip side to each one of them. And a few years back, I kind of got this weird idea to write a novel. And it was a novel that had some principles in it. And the principles were love, faith, 
and peace or being at rest. Well, the opposite of those three are apathy, self, and chaos. And so, Amber, the the reason I, I've seen that, and this is, I, I think these are big mistakes that both people make and leaders oh, make. Oh, yeah. Because to me, the foundation of everything that we should be all about is love. And it's so ironic that people really don't discuss that much in leadership circles and also in business. And But I've, I've really, over my years, just come to terms that that is what should be foundational. So much so, I actually believe there's an order in the way that I listed them. Love came before faith. And because I'm really not sure that the heart can be prepared for what faith needs to bring if there's not some degree of a, a love there. And the opposite of love is apathy. Now, the reason I bring that up in leadership is because if I am in a role, and at some point, remind me after this, we need to define what leadership is because I think it's important. If I'm in a role that I am perceived as a leader, then I actually have responsibility or stewardship over something mm-hmm. or some people, an organization or something like that. And apathy says that I don't really give a rip about that stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm just in it for me. And so the, the thing that I really need to focus on as someone in that role is I need to show love. And mm-hmm. apathy would be, if I'm interacting with you, Amber, I don't care that you've got children. I don't care. I, I, I'm just totally apathetic to and, and, and compassionate about, not compassionate about anything about your, your um, situation other than what can you do for me? Mm-hmm. And see, that's the selfishness that we see in a lot of leaders and leaders, right? So that, there's a lot more to that, but I'll, I'll pause right now and see if you've got any follow-up. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, um, before you go on to the other ones, I mean, something that I love that Dallas Willard says too, is that when you think about leadership, we all have to think about the kingdoms that we actually have, because in reality, I mean, we don't like to say we're in charge of a kingdom, but all of us have it, even if it's only one other person. It's wherever you have something that you exercise, for lack of better words, a dominion over, like my little kingdom is my family. And so am I apathetic towards them or am I loving towards them? Um yeah. Even kids in school with their classmates, you see dynamics there where they create their little kingdoms. It's part of how we're really created. And so um, it is good to look at it from the view of love versus apathy, because we can all be apathetic at times, but um, hopefully we're working more towards love. So go ahead, go ahead. Well, what I was going to do is you just led right into, we really need to define leadership yeah. because you almost define, you almost use my words to define what leadership is. So, so here's my definition of leadership. And I have put, I mean, this is like 30 years in the making because I've heard the definition of leadership is like, look around, if you have followers, you're a leader and all of, you know, servant leadership and things like that. And we could unpack some of those if you really want to. But for me, the way I define leadership is someone who is a steward. And I, and I, and I use that word very intentionally. And I'll, I'll mention a few other things. They're a caretaker, a trustee, someone who oversees, but a steward to me is the best word Mm -hmm. who oversees the people, places, and or things that God has given them. And the reason that that word steward, and I like the word trustee at times, because it's a kind of a legal term as being a trustee is that someone who is a steward, they don't own it. You're not the owner. I mean, listen, Amber, as much as we would want to say we own our children, we don't. As much as we want to say that we own even our homes and businesses or organizations or churches or anything like that, we don't own any of those things. We are stewards. We are caretakers, Mm -hmm. which therefore means that we have them for a season. And because we have them for a season we are to return them in a better condition than when Mm. we received them. Wow. So children are a great example. You're as an excellent example. You're there overseeing, caretaking, doing a lot of fun stuff. And sometimes a lot of not fun things. Mm -hmm. You don't own them. And there will come a time when you set them free, they go out in the world and your role as a parent Mm-hmm. is for them to be in a better position to do whatever it is they're called to do. 
when yeah. they leave you. And we could talk about what it means like for a car or possessions or anything. That is how I define leadership because stewardship means more to me than anything else when we talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it takes, well, going back to your three things, it diverts the self-focus if you look at it as stewardship instead of I'm in charge. Mm, yeah. So flesh those out a little bit. Self-focus. And what did I say the third one was? Yeah, chaos. Third one, yeah, yeah, <laughs> chaos. So so self-focus, this is really the opposite of faith to me. And I, and I, you know, when you write things out, especially when you're writing it out in a novel, you have to think through things a little bit differently than just flippantly saying them, uh, you know, when you're right. just in conversation. I put a lot of thought into this because our religious systems, when we talk about faith, it, they have certain definitions. And to me, I, I'm not disagreeing with them, but I needed to explain it to mm -hmm. a character in a novel that had very little faith yeah, and was somewhat cynical, possibly about God and things that maybe have been church related. And so this was the way it was explained to my character in the novel. Amber. And that was that faith is just understanding that there's something bigger than you, mm -hmm. that the world doesn't revolve around you. Mm -hmm. Because most of us, listen, when we, when we hear the term die to self, I don't think we, I don't, I don't even think we pretend to understand exactly what that means. But to me, it means understanding that there's something bigger in the world other than me. Mm -hmm. There are people out there and the bigger picture really is I was created you were created. We were created for something that was bigger, greater, et cetera. And if people really understand that, especially in a leadership role, I believe it allows them to be more of a steward mm -hmm. than they could if they don't understand that. Because if they think they own things, if they think everything revolves around them, then they think that they, they've got pressure to make it happen. Things have to be done. If it is to be, it's up to me. They don't understand that there's just a bigger thing in play here. So that's mm -hmm. one of the big things about, now, listen, we're believers here. I know on grace enough, these people are yeah. probably followers of Christ. So we can go deeper and say what it really means is submitting your life to Christ, understanding that, that what happened on the cross, that you were created. But again, I was attempting to explain it <laughs> in a situation that really didn't have that. Yeah. That message there. So, so that's really the, the not being so self-focused. Right. I really do think in leadership and this is, God, this is getting a little bit advanced, but we can go ahead and go here now. I think in many churches, businesses, things like that, even people that talk about Jesus hmm. claim to have relationship with Jesus, that when they get placed into a leadership role, it's still all about them. And we've seen example after example after example of that, that yeah. they are still way too self-focused and, and way too thinking what's in it for me. I'm the, I'm the owner. I'm the leader here. I've got to make it happen instead of understanding. No, they're not. Well, and I love that you say I've got to make it happen because I was in a conversation with James Brian Smith. And he was discipled by Dallas Willard. I always come back to Dallas Willard because my husband loves him. And I feel like I've listened to so much. But he says that a church gifted, James Brian Smith said, a church gifted him a mug that had Dallas's picture on it. And over the top, it said, you don't have to make it happen. And that's exactly what he was talking about. Like, it's not your responsibility to make it happen. Like you, number one, don't have that much control. And number two, like you're driving yourself and everybody else crazy trying to make it happen. And again, that's that self-focus thing, like taking it off, you know, always being under the authority of Christ and not just saying it, but actually doing it. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of us, my, my personality is kind of this way. Other personalities may not need it to be said this way, but I think we've, you know, if we look across the landscape at the political leaders, business leaders, leaders in ministry, I think many of them need to be told this, you aren't that great. <laughs> you, I mean, I, I hate to be blind. I'm, you know, I'm a coach, I coach and lead. And there are times that I have to nurture and love on people and time that I have to say things like, you know what, you really aren't that good. We need to kind of, you know, allow the team to develop here. We need to build up leaders. We need to allow God to get involved because we don't really have the answers here. Yeah. And, and no one likes to hear that because our human, you know, mindset, our flesh, we like to think that we have all the answers. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so true. And it's people that are high capacity like you. And I think of my friend, Cheryl, I'm like, it's easy. Even my husband, it's easy to think like everybody else should be at that same capacity. And it takes a lot of humility and time to get to the place where you realize like not everybody has equal capacity to produce, to function, to, um, I don't want to say care, but in some ways really have that same passion. Yeah. And I don't, I don't even, maybe it's that Amber, but you know, different people were just wired. Differently. Oh yes. And God, sure. and God wired us differently too. Yeah. For, for reasons, you know, one of the, the biggest challenges that I see in our current leadership world is the people that follow leaders, put them too much on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I fault a lot of what's going on with the way culture is that we really do want people to tell us exactly what to do in many situations. We want them to feed us. Mm. Um, I was having a conversation just last week about uh, the current church and situations we see with just consumerism within the church. Mm -hmm. Most people want to go. They want to get. They don't really want to give. And one of the issues there is, is that's what they end up getting, you know, we, and, and we end up mm. having leaders that they just want to give and they have to be charismatic and they have to entertain and yes. things like that. And, and, and so it, it starts feeding this ego thing of, we have this, such a desire for significance mm. in our world. And I, I'm, I'm not sure that individually we are, that I, I want to be careful in saying this. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure we are created to be that significant. I think that we, we really are to, to submit. Yeah. Well, and, and is it significance as much as it is, we're not created to receive the praise. No, I don't. And I don't think we can handle it. Well, I we mean, can't. Listen. I mean, we see it. We see that we can't handle it. And that's the thing. I think there's significance through the, the eyes of Christ, but that is not the same as significance in receiving praise from people that really, sorry to sound churchy, but that praise belongs to God. And we as followers are definitely giving it to leaders instead of just expressing appreciation more and serving. Sure. And and so what that does is it fosters the atmosphere we have, Mm -hmm. which is it leads to someone can't show love in an organization where they've got mm. 500 people there that they're attempting to shepherd, minister to, or oversee. It's yeah. very difficult for someone to not become self-focused when everyone's telling them how awesome they are, when they're receiving applause, when they're up on stage holding a microphone or an instrument or something like that. It is very difficult for the human flesh to not really love that. Mm. And mm-hmm. that leads to the third thing we were talking about. And, and that is that it's very difficult to not operate out of chaos. And when I say chaos, chaos to me is the opposite. All these are opposites. If you notice the opposite of chaos is being at rest or at peace. Mm -hmm. Or there's a word I, I use that some people we could possibly discuss. And that is Sabbath. Can people say, Mm -hmm. well, Sabbath is a day I go "Mm, for me. Sabbath is a state of being. It's a state Mm -hmm. of mind. Mm-hmm. I believe that what Jesus did on the cross, he actually changed that from just being a time frame to a state mm-hmm. of being mm-hmm. that if we are at true rest, then we really understand that we were created. We were created by a, an incredible God that created us for some form of purpose. And we're at rest because we're at peace with God because of what what Christ did on the cross in the resurrection. Mm-hmm. He broke down the barriers between us and our creator so we can live and operate in a state of peace. Because mm-hmm. really, the reason there was so much chaos, typically, is because we don't understand our position in the mm-hmm. bigger picture. And our position in the bigger picture, there's really only two identities that we could have. We could have the identity of an orphan, yeah. or we, we could have the identity of being adopted. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying I totally understand it. Right. But, Absolutely. But I know I lean towards the adopted. I'm adopted in, and you're adopted in. That's right. And, but I don't grasp it totally. But if I do, then you know what? I'm at peace. I'm at rest. I'm, I understand eternity versus I've got three weeks. I've got to get something done and uh, it causes just chaos. And some people just function and operate out of chaos because they're not operating in any form or fashion out of that place of peace or rest. Well, and that's where habits and disciplines and we could go, whoo, 
Yeah. When it comes to Sabbath, I could really, really take a detour because I agree with a lot of that. And then I think just the discipline of having, whether it's a stop day or a stop moment, you know, those rhythms of, okay, in the morning, I'm quiet before the Lord, because that helps us step out of chaos. You know, it's like you're preparing for when the chaos comes. You don't wait until it comes and then try to get calm, right? And, and things just smooth out. I, I don't, I'm sure you're this way that if, if I am able to have some quiet time mm-hmm. and I'm not even sure we need to define what people do in their quiet time, just be no. still and quiet. Yes. Yeah. I mean, even those people who aren't Christians, if you're just quiet, it's amazing what will happen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, out, out, outside the Christian world, you know, meditation yes, and all this kind right. of stuff is popular. And those people like seem to be in this state of mind where Christians are just like, we're going haywire. <laughs> it's, it's like, true. we're the ones that should be at peace. Yeah. But yeah, oh. they're they're doing some practices that, you know, I'm not saying we have to meditate necessarily, but prayer and meditation are pretty closely related or just sitting still and breathing and not having a device in your hand, scrolling or anything like that. I think I think those are so those were kind of the three foundational items related Absolutely. to uh, to leadership mistakes. Yes. Yeah. Well, and the reason why I decided to do this leadership series is actually um, comes from a book titled The Call to Follow, Hearing Jesus in a Culture Obsessed with Leadership. When you hear that title, what are some of the thoughts that are evoked in you? Well, there's so much power in following. And read that subtitle again, because there's one thing I wanted to jump on and I I was trying to write it down. Yeah. The Call to Follow, Hearing Jesus in a Culture Obsessed with Leadership. You know, Amber, something just popped to mind. I'll share it. It relates to this. When we spent a few years at Bible school and it was a really interesting environment. (laughs) I just want to say, I love Christians. Let me just go ahead and say that right up front before anything else comes out of my mouth. But hanging out with a bunch of Christians for a few years can be a very interesting and educational situation. (laughs) I love them. I am one, you know, but anyway, uh, the, uh, the weird thing is, is that this was a Bible school that had people that were, let's call them mature in age, which would be me, mid fifties. And then people that were right out of high school. And because of, I guess, who I am, my role, my business, all that type stuff, there were a lot of younger people that came to me and would ask advice and have questions and stuff like that, which I, I love that. But the word you brought up was so apparent that they were obsessed Mm-hmm. with leadership at a very young age. I mean, they were like going, you know, I, you know, I, I need to be a great leader. You know, I'm learning all this Bible stuff. That's awesome. But I, I want to make sure I'm a great leader so that if I'm ever out and running a church or doing something like that, I've got my leadership skills and all that kind of stuff. And, and after a while, I was literally overwhelmed by the infatuation with the word leadership. It was one of the things that drew me to defining it the way we did earlier, mm. Because leadership to them in that setting, and I'm not everyone, but these these people that I was interacting with meant I get some Bible in me, mm-hmm. I get educated, and then I move into a full-time ministry role where I'm leading a group of whatever, and I want to keep leading it and doing it well and growing, growing, growing. Mm-hmm. And there, there's so many problems with the statement that I just said. Mm-hmm. First of all, the growing, 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 leading, full-time ministry. I mean, there's all of these that I could kind of just kind of, we could throw some hand grenades at if we really wanted to. But the title you brought up, first of all, we're obsessed with leadership and which then means that we exalt and put people that we perceive as being good at leadership on pedestals. And many times, Amber, we're not doing it because of character. We're doing it because of skills they've got. Yep. And I can speak this and say this because I've been in this situation just because someone is pretty good with a microphone and can stand up on stage does not mean they should. Amen. Just because someone can lead a group in song, they can play an instrument, they look so cool and hip and all that does not mean they should be on stage leading praise and worship. I'm saying that in church settings, we could do similar things in business. Yeah. But many times we overlook character, we overlook foundational things in people because of skills that they have. And so one of the big reasons that I see obsessed with leaders is our culture and our people, like we talked about earlier, I think we're putting people in those roles. Mm. And I'm not sure that we, including me, who's been around this for a long time, we can handle it. 
But it's hard because you're in a situation where there's this tension between I am running a business and this is church. And so it's just a challenging thing. And I don't know how we get out of it. Yeah, I don't either. I've, I've put a lot of thought into it. Yeah. <laughs> and listen, we've seen, and you've done it, you've, you've covered it well. You know, our friend Amy has covered some situations in, on her podcast and some others have just, let's specifically look in the ministry world yeah. of people that have moved into a leadership role. And something has happened that has caused them to not be in that leadership role. I mean, we could mm -hmm. use the churchy word of they've fallen or something like that, but right. uh, they didn't handle it well. You know, it's really interesting. Yesterday, I was on a long walk and I listened to the, I, I think it's the final episode of the podcast that was the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Mm -hmm. and, and I think the thing that really hit me as we, as we look at things like that is that we've got to stop putting people in those positions. Because a bully is going to be a bully yeah. when they're given the opportunity. Someone, and listen, let's talk mostly males here. I think females could probably do better in leadership roles. It's just for some reason we don't put them there. That's a whole other topic we could discuss if you want to. Because when you put men in there and they've got issues with sex or, or, or uh, some addictions, mm -hmm. then as soon as they start feeling a little bit of power, it, that's going to start bubbling to the surface yeah. there. If they are arrogant and all of a sudden someone's telling them how great they are, that arrogance is going to really, really mm -hmm. exponentially grow. Mm -hmm. So I, I actually think Amber that we almost need to do some things like whether one likes Francis Chan or not is irrelevant, but he had a big mega church. He looked around I and know. says, I should not have more of a staff than Jesus. And he just shut it down. I know. I know. And a lot of people go, oh, no, we can't do that because churches and all that. I'm, I'm not on that bandwagon. And listen, I love- The church I, I, is not going anywhere. I mean, it's uh, the- or, No, I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking yeah, about people. I'm talking about the body of Christ. So these big organizations that we're all freaked out about, like, oh, if you do that, it's going to fall apart. No, it's not. So one way I word it, Amber, and I am totally open. And you saying, Tim, that sounds a little harsh or maybe not. You, you know, our relationship, I'll allow you to correct me. <laughs> My observation, and I went to a church yesterday that was super cool. It was awesome. Walked in at 9 a.m. It was black dark in the auditorium and the lights flipped on. The video came on and super cool hip dude with long hair and a hat started singing and it was awesome. And Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm sounding a little cynical. I apologize for that, but it's sort of to make a point. I believe that most of those situations, and I just want to be careful with this. So just, mm, I think most people are building their kingdom and they're not building God's kingdom. I agree. I think what they do is they get in a position and they may not have started that way. Going back to that right. rise and fall, Mark Driscoll. I mean, early on, it sounded like he was trying to do something for Seattle and all that. But then as it grew, there was something that clicked. And all of a sudden he's starting to build his kingdom. He's starting mm -hmm. to read his press clippings. You know, he may believe that he is as awesome as people are telling him mm -hmm. and that he can bully people. He can do whatever. And, and that he is infallible. And you know what? He starts thinking it's about self. He starts having apathy for people and he's not at rest or peace. There's chaos. Those are the three things yeah. that we talked yeah. about earlier. And so that's the big indicator. And, you know, I, I heard it yesterday. I mean, it was a cool, it was a nice group of people. It wasn't a huge church, but there was language. There was some teaching on the Holy Spirit. And there was language that I kept hearing that said, this is where you interact with the Holy Spirit at this place. And you know what? That's a lie. Yep. Those people need to be walking out, interacting and, and have the gift of the Holy Spirit wherever they are. And then when they come into that church gathering, it's even more powerful That's because right. they've right. got all that power. It's not that they come there to get it and plug in. Yeah. They have it daily all throughout their life. And they just gather with other people that are going through the same thing. I mean, absolutely. Right. Like the spirit of God is living in you. If you are walking with Jesus, like that power is in you. That's the way it is. And so, yeah, I agree with you completely, actually. I mean, this whole idea, I, I could get on a soapbox, too, about how we teach about the kingdom is in heaven only. I'm like, well, but why did Jesus then ask us to pray his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Like, there is opportunity for us to see glimpses of the kingdom of God 
in man on earth. That's why the Holy Spirit lives in us is because we are supposed to be kingdom bringers on earth. Absolutely. One thing I was going to say earlier when we were talking about the the kingdom of God is that I, you know, I talked about this, but I, I spent towards the tail end of my time at Bible school, about three years studying the kingdom of God. I went through every scripture that had any reference to kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. I believe in my translation, there was, there was like 101 of them. I looked at the yeah. root, the root word of kingdom in the Greek. And then I studied all of that out. And, and, you know, it's so challenging for us to understand what the kingdom of God really is. But, but for me, the definition that I used after all of that was the kingdom of God is wherever God is allowed to rule and reign. Now, a lot of people get uncomfortable with that word allowed because they kind of have this thought, God is all powerful, omniscient and all that. It's like, you know, just like I talked about earlier, I know God was always pursuing me, but God never came in and beat me over the head with a hammer. And I think there are, and and where I really recognized it, Amber, and I think this might be valuable for leaders or anyone that's in a role, is that I was living a segmented life. Mm -hmm. I was allowing God to rule and reign, the kingdom of God to rule and reign in my marriage. I was allowing God to rule and reign in the way I parented and all that, and the way we, we did our children, my health. I wasn't allowing God to rule and reign in my business world. I mm-hmm. really recognized this after 2008, that I thought I was pretty darn smart and pretty darn good. And that really got my attention. And so because of the Greco-Roman culture that we all live in, we whereas if we go to, back to ancient Middle East, their whole world was everything. They wrapped it all together. We divide ours up. You know, we go to church on Sunday. We work on Monday. Right. We have our activities that we do. We have our hobbies. We have our, our guy trips, our girl trips, you know, all these things that we do, whereas they just wrapped it all together. So kingdom of God is wherever we allow God to rule and reign. I believe that the reason that we see most, most of the leadership issues and most of the challenges with some of these organizations is they may start off allowing God to rule and reign, but at some point something switches and they say to themselves, you know, we've got a staff and salary and I'm Mm -hmm. responsible for that. We've got a mortgage. We've got a building. Oh yeah. And so we need to do certain things to protect that. Mm. And as soon as they move into that role, things begin to change. Well, when you think about followership, and I'm talking about following Christ, I mean, you referenced servant leadership earlier, and that's a word we throw around a lot, but does anybody actually even really know what that means when they're saying they're doing it? What advice about followership would you give people in leadership? Particularly, we're talking Christian context, obviously. Yeah. And the reason that's such a great question is goes back to what we said earlier that I put a lot of the challenges we see on the followers mm. because let me, I'll say a few things that sound pretty harsh right out of the gate, but we'll, we'll get to something maybe that's a little softer. Stop walking in churches, expecting to be a consumer and just take, take, take. Mm. Stop going to churches and putting whoever's up on stage as the pedestal and taking everything they say as the infallible word of God. As a follower, we you, me, the one listening, we have a responsibility to spend quiet time with the Lord and get wisdom, mm-hmm. knowledge, learn the scriptures ourselves. We don't need to offload that to someone else. And I think our modern Christian culture, that's pretty much what it is. We're looking, we are seeking someone to follow. We just want someone to follow so bad. And you know what, this, this preacher, he's so awesome. He preaches the word. And then you bump into this person a year or two later, they go, well, he got off track. So now we're at somewhere else. And this guy, he's really, he really does it. And he's preaching the word. And you talk to him a few years later, listen, we need to be developing our personal relationship with Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. our heavenly father. And the more we develop that, This is going to sound a little interesting. The less we'll need those leaders and the less we need them, the more successful the whole system is going to be. The more you need them, the more challenges we're going to have. Yeah. I mean, because we were never meant to really rely on a human being that much. It's like we talk about, you know, how do you lead like Jesus? Jesus was the best leader ever. And I'm like, but Jesus was a follower of his father. And he said that over and over again. (laughs) All he did was what his father told him to do. And he said what is what the father told him to Mm. say. And that's our example of leadership. Yes. yes. <laughs> now, not what Pastor Joe, Pastor Joe, Pastor Joe, Pastor Joe, mm-hmm. Pastor Joe. And you know, you, you got to understand if you're talking, if you're worshiping Pastor Joe, 
then Pastor Joe's going to become a deity to you. And Pastor Joe could become a deity to himself. And somewhere along the line is when all of that gets way out of whack and it might still look good. It smells good. It looks awesome. They're talking scripture, Mm -hmm. but it's a religion, not relationship. Yeah. And I mean, it is where the chaos sometimes will kick in for Pastor Joe, because like you said, the followers have made him into something he was never meant to be. And then he starts believing that and everything becomes chaos. Yeah. And I just don't, I mean, listen, there are some people that are really wired to be great leaders. I don't think we're really equipped to be the leaders that people are making us. And, and I mean, listen, we can look at a lot of situations. I don't think there are people in the political arena. Yeah. <laughs> they can handle it. We see that and we, we don't want to go down that path. I think in the business world, I read something earlier that, that in general, CEOs get paid 354 times mm. the average salary of people that do the work. And you cannot tell me that they are 354 times more valuable than people that are the average salary in an organization. And you know what? Same thing in a church situation. I believe that the followers, going back to the question you asked, have a responsibility to have relationship Mm -hmm. with the father. And then the the word for church is ecclesia, ecclesia, ecclesia. Mm -hmm. It becomes stronger as opposed to how my observation, how weak it is right now, because people are just looking for a place to plug in and to hear what they need to hear so that they can then unplug and go out what they need to do the rest of what they need to do the rest of the yeah. week. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's where we're missing. Yeah. The disconnectedness too, of just, like you said, segmenting our lives is wreaking havoc. Um, it makes me want to start talking about my middle school, small group, and just all of the anxiety and Oh my gosh. It, it's just insane. But again, that's a whole other conversation that we could go down of segmenting our lives and technology and all of that. But I want to close with this. In a world where the prevalent messaging is to be extraordinary, in with a few practices that can help us be ordinary, faithful followers of Jesus. Mm. I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier is the best practice And that is taking personal responsibility for your spiritual growth, for your spiritual walk, for your spiritual relationship. And the simplest practice that we can all Mm. do, and we we all need to do this better, is to be still and quiet and rest. Because, and, and listen, I know we've had conversations, you've got children, you've got, you know, you've got podcast, you got all kinds of, we have so much coming at us. I'm sitting here looking at my phone, yeah. you know, there's probably been messages that have come in during this conversation that we've had and that it, we have got to, and this, this goes for people that may not, may not even be followers of Christ too. I even, I do this when I work with leaders, you've got to have time for quiet and you've got to make that time so important in our lives, in your life. And if we don't, then everything just kind of begins spinning out of control. And it's so easy, Amber, to scroll. I I do it. I I love going to TikTok and looking at the cheesy little videos and stuff like that. But, and you know, this is interesting, Amber, my wife and I were talking about this. It relates to the question we're, we're staying here where our daughter's family is with our grandkids. And that's really kind of cool. We're able to hang out here some and help out. And my wife and I were talking the other night about how challenging it is being a parent in the world we're in today, because we raised our children at that young age. <laughs> this is going to sound like old dude talking before the internet. It was like you're in the stone <laughs> age. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have TV. We didn't have electricity. We didn't have any of that stuff. No, it was, it was like in the early right. 90s is when we had our children and it was a disconnected world. Well, that doesn't exist now. And so we have to work so hard, Amber, to be still and quiet. So if there's anything, any one thing that, that people can do that are listening in or myself, you, anybody is find a time to be still mm-hmm. and quiet, whatever that looks like for you. Because I think that will spill over into so many things. And I think God will meet you there in ways that you can't even imagine. I agree. And set a timer. <laughs> because it's amazing how you think you've been quiet for a long time and it's only been 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah, it's like, dang, 30 seconds. Wait, wait, did I leave the washing machine going? What's going, wait, what's going yeah, on? Yeah, I mean, it's amazing though, as you begin practicing it, how before you know it, you're like, wow, I'm doing 10 minutes. And you find like how you, you, I have began to notice how hard 
that used to be and how hard it is for other people. Whereas now I'm okay with it. And I see like, okay, this is also part of just acknowledging my smallness before a holy God too. Right. And like that Mm -hmm. significance thing, it's humbling to just be quiet before the Lord. One, one quick thing on that, that helped me get practiced for it. There's an app called the dwell Bible app that will read scripture to you, Amber. And I remember during COVID, my mind was just mm-hmm. all over the place with what's what was going on in the world and things like that. I'm, I can be a news junkie if I'm, if I'm not careful and, and want to know information. I would listen to the Sermon on the Mount mm-hmm. via dwell. And because and I wanted to have 15 minutes where I just sat and breathed and yeah. you know did some things. The, ser- the Sermon on the Mount, if read at regular speed, is about 15 and a half minutes. And I did that every morning, almost-ish, for about a year and a half. And what's so powerful about it is that you hear different things, but it forces quiet Mm -hmm. and still for at least, and it's Jesus talking for 15 minutes. So that might be something else. Uh, Try to do that. And there's all kinds of apps now that read the Bible to you. But just sit and listen to the Sermon on the Mount, 15 minutes long. That's a great idea. And I can guarantee you that after a few days, you will be hearing things that you have never heard from reading scripture. (laughs) I agree completely. Well, Tim, thank you so much for um, joining me for how many times you personally encouraged me and so many of our friends. Um, If people want to listen to your show, check out the book, Coach, where should they go? Best place to go is timwinders.com, W-I-N-D-E-R-S, timwinders.com. They could get to the podcast at seatgocreate.com there, or uh, they could find out about the book that we talked a little bit about. And I'd love to engage with people. I just, I love having these conversations. I appreciate it, Amber. Absolutely. I would love to know what resonated with you from today's conversation. Will you hop over onto Instagram or Facebook and send me a message at Grace Enough Podcast underscore Amber. And don't forget to share it with a friend. You can do that via text, email, one-on-one conversation, or on social media. I truly am grateful for every share and every message I receive regarding the episodes that I share on Grace Enough. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.